0: All right, so uh, uh why am I calling uh, Ray Cooper, my good friend, the governor? Why am why am I calling him? Well, first off, I call him Ray just to clear that up. I call him my good friend Ray Cooper. I actually don't know him and I don't think he's my good friend at all. His name is technically Roy, but I assume that to his good friends, it's Ray. That was what Kamala Harris called him and that's what Hillary Clinton called him at rallies in North Carolina over the years and so I just I I I assume that he prefers Ray when he's around his good friend. So um, it's an olive branch that I extend. See? I'm a giver. House Bill 750, rejected. Senate Bill 364, rejected. It's almost like, uh, I feel like I'm playing, what was that old arcade basketball game? It's like two-on-two. Two. It's like street jam or something. He's heating up, and the the ball would catch on fire and stuff. Um But rejected, rejected, six vetoes overridden by the General Assembly yesterday. That sets a record. The Republican-led North Carolina House set a record overriding six of Democrat Governor Roy Cooper's vetoes. The most ever in one day. In some cases, Democrat lawmakers joined the majority and voted to override as well. They got in on some of the action. Yeah, they wanted some of that sweet, sweet override action. In all cases, the Senate has overridden the vetoes as well, making the bills law. Teresa Opeka at Carolina Journal. She writes in 1996, North Carolina became the last state in the nation to allow a gubernatorial veto. It's all been downhill since. After voters, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm fine with the veto. Um, voters approved a constitutional amendment on a statewide referendum in 1995, and so it took effect in 96. And Cooper has exercised his veto power, I believe the number he's up to 81 times now, 81 vetoes since he took office in 2017. If you were to take all of the vetoes issued by all of the governors, which it's just since 96, but you were to take them all together and then double that number, it's still not as many as he has vetoed. Yeah. So far this session, the first since Republicans won back a supermajority, the legislature has overridden all eight of Cooper's vetoes so far since uh, they came back into session. So going through these things, oh, hang on, Alan Wooten over at thecentersquare dot com. Um, he has some more of the yeah. He has some more of the numbers breaking down because uh, so remember in the. You need the supermajority, which is three-fifths of the body. And so that means 30 seats in the Senate, which Republicans already have that, and 72 in the House, which when Trisha Cotham of Mecklenburg County made her party switch from Democrat to Republican, it gave them that. But you you would always need all of those votes, right? And sometimes, you know, somebody's not there or uh, you – maybe don't have the complete support of every Republican. That has not been the case in all of these overrides. Um, Republicans have all voted for it, but even some Democrats, 18 of the 20 Democrat senators and 30 of the 48 Democrat representatives in the house, they have either voted against the override after previously favoring the piece of legislation or, they took a walk, voted not present or sorry, not voted while present. So that's what they call it. taking a walk. They kind of, they leave the chamber so they don't have to cast the vote. And then they come back from what was the, the one excuse we heard a while ago is like, Oh, I had a dentist appointment. I had to, I had to, yeah, I had to take off for a bit. Guy was back in like five minutes. It was nine thirty at night. Like what dentist is open at nine thirty at night? Um, But this is important because what it shows is that uh, not all of the Democrats are voting in lockstep with the governor anymore. Uh, And this is this is Roy Cooper as a lame duck governor. And whereas he used to have the ability and the power and the muscle to, you know, threaten Democrats in the legislature to sustain his veto. He doesn't have that anymore. And he doesn't have it on every single bill either. Um, because it, in some cases you had Democrats that did flip their votes in order to put party over you know, principle or policy, right? They voted for a piece of legislation. They thought it was a good piece of legislation, and then the governor vetoes it, and they didn't have some sort of you know change of mind about whether the policy was good or bad. No, no. They're just doing it to protect the precious, right? They're just doing it to make sure that Governor Cooper... You know, clings to as much power as he can, as a, you know, as one would a, a you know a bunch of sand, because it will dissipate. It is it is running through his fingers as we speak, and uh, I don't expect it to get better. So let's look at a couple of the laws, shall we? The non-discrimination and dignity in state work. I'm not, no, I'm not going to make the obvious easy joke there. But anyway, Representative Destin Hall, he is a Republican from Caldwell, and he said the bill was about making sure that there is no discrimination based on politics in hiring state government employees. He said it prohibits state government from compelling a job applicant to say anything, like right, to make you engage in a struggle session in order to get a job. And he read part of an application from the UNC school system from last year. And here's, here's one of the questions, quote, This university is committed to building a just and inclusive community, one that does not tolerate unjust and inhumane treatment, and that denounces it clearly and loudly. Please describe what those words mean to you and how you will contribute to a more diverse and inclusive entity State environment. I don't know if that's a direct quote. It seems like it's a bit jumbled at the end there, but you get the gist of it, right? What are you going to do personally to show your commitment to a just and inclusive community? Now, I think the correct answer here would be if I was filling this out, I would say, well, I am going to uh, transition to a female and I will now begin identifying also uh, as uh, maybe a Hispanic lesbian. After the transition, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out inclusive that. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see your other applicants. Are they willing to go through the uh, sex reassignment surgery? They're going to chop off some body parts in order to get this job? I'm your guy. Or gal. Sorry. Your non-binary human. The question has since been removed from other applications. Destin Hall said at first glance, the words may seem okay, but the problem is... What is unjust is in the eye of the beholder, right? These this is coded language, right? This is gnosticism. This is we have the knowledge and we will reach down and pick up those who express an interest in you know in the the philosophy. But we are the keepers of the knowledge, so when we have these words, we know what they mean, and we'll determine if you got it right. We'll determine if your concept of just and inclusive. Are what we want them to be, because these words mean certain things in the religion. All right, so we had a num- we had six actually six overrides of gubernatorial vetoes that occurred yesterday and last night. I just saw. Hang on a second, because the, the legislature is moving fast and furious. Um, they're getting a lot of stuff done, trying to get out of there. Um, to, 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 they passed. Mm, I think this was the ban on puberty blockers and, uh, yeah, here it is. The gender transition, yeah, House Bill 808. Okay, so it passed last night. The State Senate, it prohibits medical professionals from performing surgical procedures or administering puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones to minors. Outrageous. And um, so we're going to get to that. That passed, but... First, we had this slew of veto overrides. The one I was just discussing was the, uh, the one to prohibit compelled speech in state employment. Okay? This is from Pricey Harrison. She's a Democrat. Oh, hang on a second. Before I get to Pricey, let me go back up. In the story at Carolina Journal, Representative Robert Reeves, Democrat from Chatham, he is the minority leader, Democratic leader in the House, and he called this bill and, you know, is speaking against the override vote. He said this is overreaching like never before at a state level. You ever notice how many how many things they say have never happened before? Always. It's like it's, it's just boilerplate language. Here's a free piece of advice for Democrats. When you keep crying wolf, nobody believes you when the wolf shows up. I feel like I should construct a story out of that. Anyway, he says it's overreaching like never before at a state level saying that we can't have these conversations. Right. When you're hiring somebody, well, look, I'm just having a conversation with you about who your uncle is and how much money you've donated to the Democrat Party. That's all I'm I'm just asking. Well, we can't have the conversation. I can't I can't chat with you about your political philosophy and whether or not you support the right candidates before I give you a job at the state government, which is the people's business, right? It's not yours. He says you've got a right to be the person that you want to be. Okay, the law does not change you being the person you want to be. This infantilizing of of the audience, really. Like, do you think we are children? Or are you... Or are you, like, this This misguided? Like, because this is silly. This is just silliness. The people who are talking about paying you money have a right to say, I'm not sure that you're the best fit. Hmm. Okay, once again, um, not their money. Not their money. Public versus private. Not their money. They are... Uh, shepherds of the taxpayer dollar. They are making hiring decisions at the state level, whether you can do the job or not, and whether you are a good fit based on your skills or not, Right, that should be the guiding principles. Not whether or not you check enough boxes in the DEI bingo game. What he's really saying here is that Democrats want the ability to keep hiring members of their own secularized faith. That's what he's saying. We want to keep hiring Democrats. Progressives want to keep hiring progressives. That's what we want to do. And we want to be able to ask people on their uh, interviews whether or not they believe in the ideology enough. This is a spoils system. That's what he's talking about. This is a march through the institutions, Right. This is a patronage kind of a deal. Whereas it used to be just party affiliation, they got rid of that. They professionalized, quote unquote, uh, the public service uh, industry here in North Carolina some decades ago, when it, you know, prior to that was in fact quite literally a spoils and patronage system that Democrats controlled. You did not get state jobs unless you were a Democrat and made Democrat contributions. And this was enforced. From the state party, through the state agencies, and through the county apparatus as well. So now they can't do that. So what do they say? Well, we just want to ask you some questions about the buzzwords that we believe animate all things. Pricey Harrison, Guilford County Democrat. She's like (whistles) way out there on the left. And uh, the language she says that we are... All relying on to debate the merits of this bill is the phrase matters of contemporary political debate or social action. That's in the bill. That you're not allowed to debate or discuss these matters of contemporary political debate or social action. She said it'll have a chilling effect on questions that an employer can ask. And she gave an example of somebody at DEQ, Department of Environmental Quality, not being allowed to ask if you believe in climate change. Or whether public health a public health employee believes in childhood vaccines. So you can't even ask them that. Well, I'd imagine that you're probably not applying for a gig at DEQ if you if you don't have some views on climate change. No. Man made climate change, that might be different. canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at com. That's com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? And uh, the first bill that we've gone over with the legislature... The legislature has overridden six gubernatorial vetoes. They did it yesterday, set a record for the most number of veto overrides in a day. And the first one was on this compelled speech bill, where basically they called it the non-discrimination and dignity in state work. And it's basically saying you cannot use CRT garbage to hire your cronies. That's what the bill is about. Okay, and I'm sure leftists are going to sue over it. Fine. Fine. As if you don't sue over everything. You guys really want to talk about your, your uh, critical theories to job applicants almost as much as you really want to talk about who you're sleeping with in front of six-year-olds. I get it. I understand. This is the critical consciousness. What I have very little patience for, the comments from guys like Robert Reeves, the Democratic House Minority Leader, who said it's important that schools... Are able to ask applicants how they feel about certain groups of people. He says, for example, like at the state's HBCUs, the historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, they're not going to be able to ask applicants how they feel about black people. Wait, what? So somebody comes in applying for a job at an HBCU, and you might, you're telling me you have questions about. Their feelings about the entire student population. Do you do you have questions about how they feel about white people or YT people, as uh, as they say on the social media? Did you know that YT? If you see the word YT or uh, the letter YPPO, I think is what it is. That's Y people. These are these are codes. Anyway, so just thought I'd give you. The- the, the Y and the T, it doesn't stand for, like, youth. It stands for, it, it means white. So I, that would be the logical thing to ask, right? If you're, if you're going to bring somebody in and you're afraid of having somebody, you know, come in that's, you know, some racist or bigot or prejudiced or something, why would you be asking somebody when they're coming in to teach at an HBCU? Why would you ask them their feelings about the student body at that school? Wouldn't you ask the opposite? Or do you ask that for all the people going into every single college campus? How do you feel about every single group? Tell me, what what stereotypes do you believe in? Have you heard any recently? Oh, please share them. He says, universities have an atmosphere. You're not stopping somebody from working by asking questions about how they fit into a particular atmosphere. I don't see how we've gotten to a point where we're scared to ask each other questions. Really? You 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 don't see how we got to this point? You don't understand why people don't like having these conversations? Buddy, have you heard of white privilege? Have you heard of um, white guilt? Have you heard of the struggle sessions being run by folks like Robin DiAngelo? Ibram X. Kendi? In the bill itself, now law, it says the state cannot promote 13 concepts, including, quote, one race or sex is inherently superior to another race or sex. You can't promote that. Or that an individual solely by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive. Or bears responsibility for actions committed in the past by other members of that same race or sex, right? You, you are not collectively guilty based on your race, your sex or your ethnicity nation of origin, right? These were pretty universal concepts when I was growing up and I'm, I, I'm in my forties. Come on. Like that, this is not, this is not uh, uh, unheard of. Everybody, you know, that was alive, I guess, prior to like a year ago, remembers that this was sort of the, this was the goal, right? You don't judge people based on these things, and you don't lump them into these categories because everybody is an individual. It is the smallest minority. We are all a member of the smallest minority, which is one, the individual. There's only one you, and you should deal with people as individuals and not ascribe things to them based on immutable characteristics or religion. Anyway, so that was, the, that was one of them. What else did they do? They did um, a bill to prohibit environmental, social, and governance factors in government hiring um, to allow local government commission to withhold a small portion of sales tax distributions from local governments that submit audits more than a year late. So in other words, this is a penalty for some local governments that have, uh, that, that have not managed their finances or have had people stealing money. You know, government officials stealing the money out of the coffers and the state the, the local government commission hasn't been able to detect it until too late. And so what they want is there are these audits, these these uh, reports to be done. And then um, the governor vetoed that for some reason and Beth Wood, uh, bumper car Beth Wood, who's running for re-election by the way, state auditor, Democrat, She opposed the governor's veto, not that she gets a vote in it, but she urged the lawmakers to override the veto, to pass the bill and then override Cooper's veto, along with state treasurer Dale Falwell, who also uh, urged the overriding of the veto on uh, the ESG investment bill. Um, This is the address environmental, social, and governance factors bill. It's ESG, environmental, social, governance, right? Um... More than a dozen states have passed laws prohibiting their employee pension plans from accounting for ESG factors. State Treasurer Dale Falwell, who manages the North Carolina retirement system, is running for governor. Um, and he's been like one of the biggest you know, ESG critics. He called for the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink, to resign or be removed because of the firm's ESG uh, rankings and such. Uh, Back to the—and by the way, that came from the Charlotte Observer, which, by the way, I saw this, too, at the bottom of the page. Um, This story was produced with financial support from One Earth Fund in partnership with Journalism Funding Partners as part of an independent journalism fellowship program. The News and Observer maintains full editorial control of the work. I wonder— If the Koch brothers were to give you a bunch of money to support your newsroom, would you take the money? Would you take that money, News and Observer, McClatchy folks? This isn't the first of its kind. I've seen a couple of these now popping up. They're getting third parties to fund their news operations. And they're putting these these disclaimers down there. I guess it counts as like an ad, maybe? I don't know. One Earth Fund. I wonder what that's, uh, I wonder if they've got any kind of political positions on anything. Hmm. Consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. All right, I mentioned the ESG bill here that the legislature overrode, so it's going to it's going to start pulling the ESG stuff out of uh, the state investment funds and stuff. And I mentioned this the other day, so I figured I would bring you details on it. (laughs) This is such a great story from the Free Beacon, Washington Free Beacon. S&P Global made headlines this month when it gave Tesla, the world's largest manufacturer of electric cars, a lower environmental, social, and governance score, a lower ESG score than Philip Morris International. The tobacco company has a higher ESG score than Tesla. The electric car company, whose CEO, Elon Musk, has become a culture war lightning rod, earned just 37 points on the 100-point scale compared to Philip Morris's 84. ESG ratings are supposed to guide investment, right? Supposed to guide investors and their money towards ethical enterprises. But Big Tobacco has lapped Tesla in the ESG ratings race, and they've done it, More than once, according to Sustainalytics, a widely used ESG ratings tool. It gives Tesla a worse score than Altria, one of the largest tobacco producers in the world. The London Stock Exchange gives British American Tobacco an ESG score of 94, the third highest of any company on the the exchange's top share index. Tesla, eh, they come in at 65. How can cigarettes that kill over 8 million people each year be deemed to be a more ethical investment than electric cars? Well, I mean, aside from all of the strip mining and the uh, the child labor going on in the third world countries where all of the precious metals are. But um, aside from that, how? It may have something to do with the tobacco industry's embrace of corporate progressivism. Companies like Altria, have gone out of their way to emphasize the diversity of their corporate boards and the breadth of their social justice initiatives. By the way, have they put, I've not seen, are the cigarettes, are the cigarettes all this month, are they rainbow color? Or are the packs maybe? They, uh, they, they emphasize funding minority businesses to promoting transgender women in sports, which is an odd thing for tobacco companies to be able to do. Right, because if if you're smoking the cigarettes, I'm not thinking you're an athlete. I mean, nowadays, generally. Um, Tesla, who's... Well, okay, yes, arm wrestling aside. Tesla, whose executives are overwhelmingly white men, has resisted that bandwagon going so far as to fire its top LGBT diversity officer last year. The S in ESG typically includes diversity programs. And Philip Morris International advertised a partnership with African data scientists they got a score of 84 from S&P Global Tesla got a 20 the contrast highlights the problems of this movement that lumps in you know health and environmental issues and you lump those things in with ideological fads right early ESG efforts were laser focused on Sin stocks, they were called. Companies who, who, who had a core business doing something that's immoral. Tobacco companies, uh, Biden enterprises, that kind of stuff. But as ESG investing has ballooned, so has the number of variables used in the ESG ratings, which now encompass everything from labor practices, carbon pledges, to diversity trainings and human rights. And that has created countless opportunities to game the system. And it lets even the most sordid companies score points and investors by towing the progressive line. Yet another way in which this progressivism, this wokeism is a religion. Because this is the selling of indulgences. This is your get out of hell free card. Right? You, oh, okay. You, if you're going to offset that bad thing you did, with a mea culpa, right? Do some reconciliation, do some penance, maybe, hire some people of the right persuasions, and look at that! We'll invest in your company again. You get into heaven. It's a cult, it's a religion. It's not just a political philosophy. <laughs>